everybody, this is Chris. Welcome to episode 13 of Chris's on Infinite Earths here at the Chris and Reggie channel. You can find this program every other Wednesday at chrisandreggie.com, chrisandreggie.podbean.com, iTunes, Stitcher, yada, yada, yada. Now this week, we're going to be discussing a manga from uh, DC Comics, and uh, if you listen closely, that's the sound of uh, several dozen people clicking stop on their uh, audio devices. But I hope not, I hope not, because this is a fun book we're going to discuss, and I also have a, a little bit of a personal story to go along with it, uh, at least the, uh, the reviewing of it, not, not, not so much the content of the, uh, the manga that we'll be discussing. Now, uh, this was a book that I covered last year. It was on, uh, it was actually on, uh, my, uh, my 10th wedding anniversary. We covered this one on the blog over at chrisisoninfinitearth.com. Uh, I covered this book because I thought it would be easy to review. Um, it's funny, uh, I don't go out of town very often. A few weeks ago we discussed, uh, what was it, uh, Teen Titans Young Justice Graduation Day, which, uh, I wrote in advance to coincide with my own graduation day because I was going to be out of town. Uh, you can find that one in the archives if uh, you're so inclined. But uh, since then, I've gone out of town, I want to say, three times since then. I, I went to Pennsylvania a couple times, and then I took the trip we're about to talk about. And uh, for those for those times I was out of town, I would have to plan ahead to... Uh, to make sure there was something running on the blog those days, uh, that I wasn't going to be here to, you know, manually write something each and every day. I, you know, gave myself a little bit of a, a little bit of a backlog so I could, so I could have something there every day. And, uh, around the time when I covered this manga, uh, the wife and I were going to go up to, uh, Seattle in the Seattle area. And, uh, I looked at this book as something that it would be very easy to review. And uh, the reason for that is because there's uh, no dialogue. It's just, uh, it's just pictures. You know, there's a, it's a completely silent uh, manga tankaban here. Um, that week I also covered other things that I thought... <laughs> it's funny, I, uh, I actually, like, I said, okay, we're going to discuss unique books these three days that I was going to be out of town, and... That was kind of code for books that I thought it would be easy to to review. I thought they'd be like just a slam dunk, you know, not very long. Uh, generally speaking, when I was doing the uh, the daily posts on a single comic, I mean, those could take anywhere from, from two to four hours every single day uh, to, to get up there, get all the pictures in, get them uploaded, all that stuff. And uh, I really just didn't have the time, or I didn't think I had the time to do that uh, for these ahead-of-time posts. Um, I was, you know, keeping current with my regular posts, which were setting me back a few hours a day. And around this time, I was also probably about shoulder-deep in research for uh, The Age of Apocalypse, which uh, Reggie and I covered on the Cosmic Treadmill for our... 100th through 105th episode uh, of Cosmic Treadmill. That's uh, that is available in the archives. That's about six episodes, about 11 or 12 hours of uh, Age of Apocalypse discussion there. So uh, all my free time was really going to that. So I didn't have so much time to, uh, or at least I didn't think I had so much time to do these these pre uh, these predated <laughs> uh, posts for the blog. And so I chose three books that I thought were going to be 
just so easy to do. Uh, one of them was a, uh, uh, what was it, a, a trading card game tie-in by Jim Lee uh, that came out through Wildstorm. It was like a little Ashcan comic. Uh, that one actually did go pretty quick. That was a quick post to put together. Uh, the other one was, uh, it was a How to Draw Batman uh, pamphlet that came, that was, that came with the, uh, the Batman uh, vault, the, uh, that collection that came out in bookstores. It was like a binder You'd find a whole bunch of uh, reproductions of Bat Ephemera. Uh, they've done them for Spider-Man. They've done them for Superman. They've they've done them for a lot of the uh, the marquee comic characters uh, for mass consumption. You know, they're they're the thing that that you you know you'll get the kid for Christmas, I guess. Uh, and I, I I was able to find that Batman vault uh, in clearance at a Barnes and Noble a few years back. Uh, well, actually, probably about eight or nine years back at this point, but. Uh, Who's counting? Uh, and the other book I did was uh, Gone, uh, Volume 1. And I thought that this was just going to be a slam dunk because there were no words. You know, if, if you get to, if you're doing a review that comes along with a synopsis and you're doing a book that has no, you know, no bubbles in it, you figure that's going to be a real, real easy, <laughs> it's going to just be a layup. It's going to be an easy post to get through. And, uh, well, this uh, proved otherwise. Uh, <laughs> this is a very, uh, I, I don't want to say dense because it's, uh, it's really not. But there is a lot to, uh, there's a lot to describe. There's a lot to discuss. It's, it's really a gorgeous book. It's an adorable book. It's, uh, it's a book I highly recommend uh, to check out. And, and we'll get to that uh, as we get into the synopsis. But uh, I did want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the trip that uh, the wife and I took. This was uh, for our 10th wedding anniversary, which is also uh, the same as my wife's birthday as well. And uh, we were looking for a reason, we were looking for a place, I should say, to go, <laughs> you know. Uh, birthdays kind of, they kind of drag when, you, when, when you're out of childhood. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just another day and, you know, it's, it's not a day you get off of work all the time. It's, it's just a, a day and uh, it's not nearly as special as it was when you're you were growing up, uh, like so many things, I suppose. And uh, we were planning on trying to get out of town, and uh, we really just didn't know where to go. And we uh, one of one of the shows we watch uh, probably at least once a year, usually usually twice a year, is uh, is Twin Peaks. We go through uh, the entire Twin Peaks uh, show, the the well the two seasons, the two original seasons. We've we've only watched the. The third season once, uh, we feel like that might have been <laughs> more than enough. But uh, we, we generally watch through at least the first season, uh, once or twice a year. And uh, I, we realized that the uh, diner from Twin Peaks, the Double R, is actually a real place, or it's based on a real place. It's a Tweedy's uh, Diner in, uh, in North Bend, Washington. And we thought, hey, you know what, why don't we go up to Seattle? And uh, we'll take a day trip out to uh, out to Tweety's Diner and uh, have some cherry pie and coffee and uh, you know have a good time and and so we planned to go to Seattle and then I did a little bit more research and I found out that the uh, the Great Northern Hotel that's uh, that's in Twin Peaks is based on a place called the Salish Lodge and uh, we figured hey why not you know let's uh maybe we'll stay there you know we'll stay at the Salish we'll. 
we'll see the uh, the waterfall from the opening of Twin Peaks. If you if anybody's familiar with that, you've seen the big waterfall during the opening uh, theme, and uh, that's right outside the Salish Lodge. That's Snoqualmie Falls in Snoqualmie, Washington, and uh, we figured, hey, you know, that could be fun too. To, to you know, maybe stay there just to even see the the waterfall would be really cool. And then uh, did a little bit more research and found out that there's just a whole lot of Twin Peaks out there. And figured, why not actually just make a trip of it? And so we went up there, and we spent one night in the Salish Lodge. And uh, I tell you what, this is probably the the greatest place I've ever gone, that I've ever stayed. I, I'm, I'm by, no, by no means a jet setter or anything. I haven't stayed in very many places, but uh, this place was really, really nice. Um we had uh, we had put in for a room with a view, which is basically you're you're overlooking this uh, tremendous, gorgeous waterfall. And uh, when they found out it was our tenth wedding anniversary, they upgraded us to a suite. And holy cow, I could I could I could have lived in this thing forever. This is uh, just such an amazing place. Uh, it's magic this place. And uh, you know we stayed there. We did. We did manage to go to the diner, and we did have some cherry pie and coffee. And I'm not much of a cherry pie guy, but this was uh, this was some special stuff. I guess, I guess if you're known for something, you got to make sure that it's uh, th- that it's what people might be looking for. Um, we also, uh, it's funny, we get to the hotel and uh, they ask how we found them. You know, we get to the lodge. They're like, you know, how did you find us? And uh, we sheepishly said, you know, oh, from Twin Peaks, and we were expecting. We were expecting them to, like, roll their eyes, you know? It's like, oh, more of these people. But, uh, no, they actually gave us a map of the area with all of the locations from Twin Peaks in it. And uh, it's like they they really embrace this. And I I, I suppose it's smart, too, because it is a selling point. I mean, we did did travel from Arizona to Washington just to do this. So I suppose it works, you know? It's a... it's very good, uh, a very good strategy to uh, to get folks up there, and you know we spent uh, a couple hours driving around. I mean, it's not a huge town, but uh, when you're when you're not used to driving through, you know, <laughs> heavily wooded <laughs> uh, roads, it's uh, it's it's a little. Uh, well, I, I'm I'm a nervous driver as it is, so it, it it's a it's an experience, I should say, but. Uh, just a, a wonderful time up there. It's uh, it's gorgeous up there. It's so different from uh, from Phoenix. Uh, not not that Phoenix is is ugly by any means, but it, it's just a totally different experience. Uh, seeing you know green mountains, you know trees everywhere. Where I mean, I'm looking out my office window right now, and uh, I can see a mountain, but it's uh, it's it's dirt <laughs> you know it's i'm in the uh, i'm in the desert so it's not a uh, not nearly the kind of lush mountain that they have up in uh, in Snoqualmie but uh you know that was a fantastic little trip uh we only spent one night there uh the next night we spent in Seattle we wanted to uh we actually wanted to do the city as well uh we were only up there for 3 days 2 nights and we stayed right on the water uh, at the Puget, Puget Sound in Seattle, and boy, I really, really, really missed the Salish that night. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, it would be such a wonderful view, but S- Seattle's just not uh, not a town I, I was too fond of. Um, it's very different from, from I'm, you know, I'm a creature of habit, 
and I'm used to like I've become used to wide open spaces here uh, in Phoenix and uh, wide roads and being able to see you know no it's it's flat you know it's a lot of flat land here where uh, or the all the inclines are are very gradual you know so it's not like I'm gonna be coming up a hill. And there might be someone drive, riding a bike across the street. You know, it's, it, that, that very seldom happens out here. So uh, driving from <laughs> from uh, Snoqualmie into Seattle was quite a trip. Uh, especially getting into into the actual city. That was some scary, scary stuff. I, I guess I just don't know the, the right of way up there. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy. And uh, I, I really would have uh, preferred staying another night in the Salish and... Uh, that's something actually we're going to be doing in well three months from uh, three months from tomorrow. If you're listening to this the day it comes out, we are heading back up there. We're gonna do two nights at the Salish for our eleventh anniversary and have a have a heck of a good time up there. I think and uh, and you know this is funny because when we talked about graduation day, I was really really fretting about uh, about blogger actually. Uh, putting this post out as I scheduled it, and uh, when we were up there, I in Washington, I really didn't worry so much, and there really wasn't any any problem uh, to uh, to the post. They just they popped up when it did. I I guess we were still in the same time zone, so it wasn't as scary <laughs> for me. But uh, that's uh, you know that's my little boring story about uh, going on vacation because it's not something I, I've done very often in my life, but. Uh, that was the that was what facilitated me doing this post here, which I thought was going to take no time at all, but actually took me the better part of a day to put together. And that is for Gone, book one of four, came out in 1996. It's got three stories in it. It's got Gone Eats and Sleeps, Gone Goes Flying, and Gone Glares. It's by Masashi Tanaka and has a cover price of $5.95. And uh, this came out from DC's Paradox Press. Now, uh, Reggie and I discussed uh, Paradox Press and its predecessor, Piranha Press, during Weird Comics History episode 15. It's got a very interesting story. It's kind of a uh, pre-Vertigo Vertigo that really, really lost its identity when Vertigo came to be. Um, it's, it's a, I think it's an episode worth listening to. It uh, We had a good time researching that one. Um, and... Uh, it's not something you hear talked about very often, uh, that these weird little imprints that aren't Vertigo, you know? So uh, I'll definitely link to that one in the show notes as well. And uh, once we're done with the, uh, once we're past the horns, uh, we will discuss Gone, book one of four. Alrighty, our first story, Gone, Eats and Sleeps. This, like the rest, is by Masashi Tanaka. And we open with a pair of bears fishing for, we're going to assume, salmon. Now, the bigger bear acts quite the bully to the little one when it sees that he's caught a fish, and he scares that little one into dropping it back into the drink. The big bear then proceeds to yank a bunch of fish out of the stream, but this sort of behavior ain't going to fly on Gon's watch. Now, Gon is a little dinosaur. He's a tiny little dinosaur. Now, Gon and this giant bear do battle for several pages, with the tiny dinosaur winding up with the upper hand. I mean, he literally just headbutts. He like just he looks like a bullet just being fired out of a gun. He headbutts this uh this poor bear. It's, it's really really great. 
Now the bear attempts to regain his offense, however finds that he isn't sure he wants to know if Gon's bite is as bad as his bark, because uh, at this point Gon has his mouth opened right around this bear's snout. Now the bear passes out from this, and then Gon heads over to the stash of salmon. Now the first time I read this, I thought that he might be going to give uh, all of this fish to that tiny bear from before, but he doesn't. (laughs) Because, you see, Gon is just as big a jerk as the giant bear. Uh, Only he really doesn't put the effort into actually catching the fish. He just takes what's there. Uh, Now, Gon then adds insult to injury by rolling around and sleeping on the bear's chest. He, like, makes... Like, if you have a little dog and it makes the little circles before it lays down, he kind of does that. It's it's really, really cool. Uh, (laughs) I mean, the art here, you really got to see it. It's just really, really cute stuff. Now, the bear starts to struggle... However, with but a single look into Gon's glary eyes, he decides to leave well enough alone and just lay there, play dead. Uh, and that's that's the story of uh, of Gon eats and sleeps. Uh, our next story is Gon goes flying. Now this one opens up with a Gon impersonating a baby bird in order to get a free meal of fresh fish. I'm telling you, this little guy doesn't quit. Uh, it, we get What we see here is a little nest full of little baby birds and Gon, who's a, a dinosaur, a tiny dinosaur. It's really, really great stuff. Now, as he and the rest of the baby birds chow down, a wildcat approaches the nest with a different sort of meal on his mind. The mama bird makes short work of the would-be predator, knocking it off the cliffside. Then, Gon and the chicks take a nap, and... If I haven't said adorable enough this episode, this is just really, really cute stuff. Uh, now, <laughs> they're, they're, they're sleeping in this nest, right? And, of course, we got like four or five little baby birds and a dinosaur. And the dinosaur has a little bit of the, uh, the crazy legs going. He kicks one of the birds out of the nest. And uh, the baby bird bounces out of the nest, bounces down the cliff, and falls right into the waiting mouth of that wildcat. The mama bird then yanks Gon out of the nest and throws him at this wildcat predator here, like a a bullet being shot out of a gun. It's one of uh, Gon's moves. Uh, Gon gets there, he he reaches the cat, and he bites the damn thing's tail clean off. And, uh, you know, this causes the wildcat to yelp, or silently yelp, because there is no words in this. And uh, the bird drops the bird, Gon saves the bird, he spits out the tail, it's all good stuff. Now, later, after sharing a massive fish feast, the mama bird starts teaching all the babies how to, how to fly. And uh, this includes Gon, the little dinosaur. And it turns out that he's not half bad because he can do that weird bullet move. So he's, he's actually soaring through the air like a bullet. Now, time passes and uh, the mean old tailless wildcat returns and he tries to eat the mama bird. Lucky for her, Gon and his uh, birdie brothers have returned, and they make quite a mess out of the kitty. They spend the next several pages beating the holy hell out of the cat before Gon drops an entire forest onto it. I mean, there is just tree after tree after tree clobbering this poor wildcat who was, uh, who was just hungry the whole time, I guess. Now, this brings us to our third story, which is called Gone Glares. And this one might be the meanest <laughs> of Gone's actions here. Now, this story opens with a wild dog bringing some fish to its pups. 
The little buggers are still hungry after this, so the big dog decides to go a-hunting. Now, it first decides perhaps a juicy koala might make for a nice snack. Unfortunately for the dog, the koala community is currently entertaining a guest. And uh, what we get here is a picture of a tree full of koalas. I mean, there's dozens of koalas holding onto the branches and onto the, the, the trunk of the tree. And there's also a little baby dinosaur there, too. And, and it's adorable. It is. Um, now, the dog barks up the uh, wrong tree, and the koalas proceed to dive-bomb the poor beast, including, of course, Gone. The pups run away until it, the, the pup then runs away until it happens across a delicious kangaroo. Unfortunately for the dog, we get a good look at the kangaroo's pouch, and it has a little baby dinosaur in it. The dog isn't scared, though uh, he probably should be. I guess he didn't read the previous two stories. It goes in for the kill and gets pouch-kicked for its trouble. And uh, this is actually Gone kicking through... Well, not through the pouch, but in the pouch. <laughs> He's kicking this poor dog. Oh, it's great. Now, Gone then hops out of the pouch and becomes like this sort of like rat king of porcupines. Like, all these porcupines just gather on him. And he does, like, the Sonic the Hedgehog spin dash and balls over this poor pup, uh, covering him in spines. It's really quite a scene. Then, then just hundreds of ostriches from somewhere get involved, and, uh, and what we get is a scene of hundreds of ostriches charging towards this poor dog. And, and of course, among these ostriches is a little baby dinosaur. And then... Alligators, or maybe they're crocodiles, I, I don't know. I, I probably couldn't tell them apart if one bit my arm off. So we have a page full of, dinos of, of alligators or crocodiles with their mouths wide open, and with them is, of course, Gone with his mouth wide open. Then finally, the entire forest has surrounded this poor, hungry, wild dog who really wanted nothing more than to feed his pups, uh, you know, Gone Gone is kind of a jerk. It's it's got to be said. Um, and we wrap up with Gone giving the pups a giant fish. You know, I guess he uh, he decides to, you know, he tries he decides to help out those weaker than him, and he throws this giant fish. It's like the size. This fish is the size of many many pups. But get this, they ultimately turn their noses up at it, and they walk back into the uh, outback or wherever they are. They're uh, too proud to take Gon's charity. And uh, that's where we end the first Tonkabon of Gon. You know, I'm doing this, this whole book a disservice here by just telling you what happens because this is just a feast for the eyes here. It's amazing. It's just gorgeous work here. It's, it's cute. Um, this could be great for all ages. Um... It's just wonderful. It is black and white, if that is a uh, barrier for some people, but it's just amazing stuff here. Uh, you know, you got a baby dinosaur just kicking butt left and right, and it's <laughs> it's really great. Um, it really was an unexpected treat when I covered this. I, I've had these books in my collection for a long time and just really never got around to them. Um, I did, uh, as luck would have it, before we went on our trip, I flipped through one because it was on the top of a pile. Uh, my manga stacks are really just holding up, holding each other up right now. I haven't, uh, I, I've been meaning to put some uh, some shelves up on the wall to uh, to put them 
to put the the entire uh, collection and just haven't gotten around to it. And uh, somehow Gon was at the top of one of the piles, and I, I flipped through it and uh, saw that there was no dialogue in it. And then I was like, well, yeah, this is a DC book, so it technically falls into the Chris's on Infinite Earth's purview, and uh, I could cover this. And, and it was just such a treat. I, I really wasn't expecting to be just so enamored with the, this wild little, little dinosaur. It's <laughs> just crazy stuff here. Um, you know, it's a lot of times, I remember Marvel did that enough said month back in probably 2001, 2002-ish, somewhere around the turn of the century. They did a month of books that they called enough said, and they were all silent comics. Um, it's, it's funny when you, when you get on the comics internet or when I got on the comics internet, people would talk about that one issue of GI Joe, the, uh, the snake eyes issue. I think it was GI Joe number 21 that was silent. And like, nobody realized it was silent <laughs> until they got through it because it was just so well done. And then Deadpool did a little play on that. They did, uh, you know, where it was a silent issue of Deadpool and it had like an homage cover to the snake eyes cover. And then Marvel decided to ruin the whole thing by doing an, a complete month of them, which, uh, if you were a Marvel zombie like I was, really made you feel like, uh, like you know, a fool and his money was parted that month because, I mean, there wasn't, it, it wasn't something, it wasn't special, you know, and uh, and it was just a, it was definitely just an editorial edict that okay, your books in March have no words in them, and really. You know, you got to shoehorn in a side story at that point, or you have to be really deep into a story where you can actually devote an entire issue to not progressing that story. It's just, it was really not my favorite month. Uh, really, it uh, felt like a ripoff that entire month. But with this book, it was kind of like that G.I. Joe issue where you get a few pages into it and you hardly realize there's no words. You know, because it's just so well told. The uh, the art here is just phenomenal. Uh, I, uh, this uh, this Tanaka, I mean, oh man, you could really just get lost in this art. Uh, you could pour over these pages, and I've got a lot of them posted on the blog, and uh, I'll definitely link to the original post here so you can see some of them, and uh, maybe I'll throw some up at the uh, chrisandreggie.com as well, so you don't have to travel so far <laughs> to see them, but. Uh, there's just so much detail. Um, you, you just pour over the. the it, I don't want to compare them to like a Where's Waldo page where you just pour over them, but there's just so much detail here that you don't want to miss any of it. And uh, and like in some of these pictures, especially in the third story, Gone is kind of like Waldo in these pictures because you've got like a tree with dozens, if not hundreds, of koala in it, and there's a tiny little baby dinosaur in there. You know, or you have just a page full of charging ostriches. And if you look closely, there's a little baby dinosaur running there too. It's just amazing stuff. It's, and it's worth noting. I mean, Gon is a dinosaur and he doesn't look out of place among the rest of the contemporary wildlife. He looks like he belongs there. He looks like he's part of the, the natural community. It's just really, really great. Um, now of these stories, the first and second were just really, really, really wonderful. Uh, the third one, I mean, <laughs> Gon's a jerk. He's just such a jerk. But uh, the third one, while Gon really shows that he's a jerk, it's still just gorgeous to look at. Um, 
you know, we got going here. He doesn't want the wild dogs to eat any of his friends. But, uh, you know, instead of instead of going through, uh, you know, several dozen pages of just beating the hell out of this poor dog, if he was going to give them a giant fish anyway, just give them the giant fish to start, right? <laughs> it's just, it gets to the point where it's just like, like you're yelling into the book, stay down, because this poor dog is just going to, just going to get it. Uh, now, the first, the first story really set the tone here. We're going to go back to the first story where Gon beats up the bear and steals the bear's fish. And uh, when I first read this, I thought that Gon was going to be some sort of altruistic character where he's going to beat up the big bully bear and then give the little bear the fish. When, uh, no, he just wanted the fish for himself and a <laughs> little bear be damned, you know? It's, <laughs> it's just so funny. Um, the middle story is probably my favorite of this, uh, of this Tonkaban here. It's just, uh, it, it going reminds me of, uh, I've, I've got a couple of chihuahuas and, and a pug at the house here. And, uh, Gone reminds me of my littlest chihuahua, Penny. And, uh, cause he, she's just as, uh, she's just as selfish, just as mean and just as cute, you know? And I could see her kicking a baby bird out of a nest and really not really not giving it a second thought. Um, it's just, it's just really great here. It's, it's hard to look at these pages and not smile. It's, uh, it's just a, a wonderful little story, a wonderful little book, wonderful little package. And, uh, while this did come out from Paradox Press back in the mid nineties, it is, uh, I believe it is still in print. Uh, it's, it's not of course through Paradox Press since Paradox Press ain't a thing no more. It does come out through uh, Kodansha Comics. Uh, it's a uh, it's a manga a manga imprint here, and uh, you could probably find them. I, I figure you'd probably find them at any bookstore. Uh, you could probably find them on the secondary market too. I'm sure that's where I found them, uh, because I probably wouldn't have bought these if they were cover price when I first when I first came across them. So I'm sure I got them for like a buck or two a piece. Um, and I'm sure it probably wouldn't be too difficult to do that too. But I, after reading them, I'd say that they are worth the cover price, especially if you have little ones. Uh, these are uh, these are just really really fun little stories you could just lose yourself in. So uh, definitely recommend checking out Gone. And now we're gonna head over to the second installment of the Hot Take, and uh, we're sticking around with uh, Action Comics Weekly, the Hot Takes on that, uh, the photostatted uh, preview copies. So after the horns, we will hop right into that. All right, now it's time for our next installment of whatever we're calling this segment, the uh, Comics Hot Take, or whatever we're gonna call it. But uh, we're gonna dip back into Action Comics Weekly this week, and we're going to look at more letters that came in about uh, discussing the uh, photostatted copies of Action Comics Weekly 601, uh, the pre-release ones, of course. And we've got a handful of letters to get to, so we will start with one by a David in uh, Ronnet Park, California. Now he says, Dear Mike, when I first heard of the anthology premise for Action Comics Weekly, I was reminded of those anthology record albums that they used to advertise on TV. You know, original hits by the original artists. It sounded great until the album actually arrived in the mail and you discovered that it was just a hastily slapped together collection of songs by an ersatz group that named their band The Original Artists. Oof. Through sheer luck alone, I was among the the few who got mailed a preview copy of Action Comics Weekly 601. 
I can say without hesitation that a great deal of care went into crafting this particular collection. It was a treat to see Green Lantern drawn by Gil Kane, Superman by Kurt Swan, and Deadman by Dan Jurgens. No, quote, original artists rip off here. This format is going to work as long as you keep the quality of art and writing up to the level of this first issue. Just as a restaurant with good food will always have customers, Action Comics Weekly will always have loyal readers if the standard of issue number 601 can be maintained. And that's a funny mark, a remark there from David, because uh, a lot of the folks I've talked to uh, as I've uh, been reviewing these over on the blog is that the initial lineup is... Uh, is weak. Uh, I, I saw someone typed out Action Comics Weekly, but spelled weekly W-E-A-K-L-Y. So uh, this is, uh, uh, you know, I guess different different strokes for different folks and all that. But, uh, uh, you know, I don't think it would be too difficult to keep the, uh, the quality level up to uh, issue 601. Now he continues and says, I had given up on Green Lantern years ago, but in eight pages I've been drawn back. What a cliffhanger. Can it be that Katma is really dead? It's a minor miracle to get plot development in a, in a mere eight pages, but that job was done. And yeah, that's a, that was quite the salvo for the first story uh, in Action Comics Weekly 601. To have that Green Lantern chapter end with the uh, murder of Katma Tui is uh, really, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it really kicks things off with a, with a real... Uh, it makes an impact on you there. He goes on to say, I always liked Star Sapphire, and she's a fitting foe for Hal at this stage in the character. I can't imagine trying to tackle the topic of what is evil in a, in a society without rules in eight-page slices. Needless to say, I'm aching to know more. The Green Lantern piece was the best of the group. Glad to see this strip will be a regular feature. And uh, I definitely agree with him there. I thought Green Lantern was... Definitely the uh, the best chapter of that first issue. Um, the rest of them were, you know, setups, of course, just like Green Lantern was. But that one really spoke to me. Perhaps it was uh, due to my familiarity with the character and uh, a familiarity with this little uh, era of the of Hal Jordan here. So that could uh, have something to do with it. Now he continues and says, "I was a little disappointed that Superman only got two pages." But two pages by Swan beat two years of burn in my book. Is the fact that I'm burned, with uh, burn spelling, up by the new Superman mythos going to keep my letter from being printed? I hope you give Roger Stern some leeway with Superman. And, uh, you know, we've talked about how disappointing those two-page uh, Superman stories have been. Um, there really just isn't enough room to do a whole heck of a lot. And uh, regardless of... Uh, I, you know, I, I, I definitely like Swan's take on uh, the post-crisis Superman here. It does look different than uh, his pre-crisis work. I, I don't know how much of that might have to do with uh, John Beatty inking him, but it's, uh, it's, it is a treat to see uh, Kurt Swan working on Superman, but the stories are kind of just there. Uh, and I'm sure we'll be saying that a few more times as we work our way through these letters. Uh, David goes on to say, I was also very pleased with the Dead Man installment. Art, writing, and cliffhanger were very pleasing. This dead man has the qualities I remember, yet he's up to date with the 1980s. And uh, yeah, that dead man, uh, what I can say about it is the first issue had a pretty good cliffhanger. Of all the things I noticed about Action Comics Weekly number 601, I'd have to say that the art is the star. 
The Secret Six artwork is the low point, but only when compared with the return of Swan. Kudos all around for the great art. Great art always attracts me to a title. Now, Dan Spiegel's art um, on The Secret Six is, uh, you know, I'm actually looking at a page of uh, Dan Spiegel art right now that... Uh, that butts up to the uh, letters page in... Uh, I'm, I'm reading uh, the letters page from Action Comics Weekly 607 right now. But uh, Dan Spiegel's art, it's... Uh, you know, I like it. Um, there is a like almost like an underground comics quality to it. Uh, a lot of like uh, dotted faces and stuff. Um, I could see where it could be off-putting, especially when it, you know, when put up against, you know, Kurt Swan's work, if that's what you're more uh, attuned to. But uh, I found uh, Spiegel's work uh, very, very decent. I, I like it quite a bit. Back to the letter. He says, this is David. He says, I intend to buy the book regularly, if only for GL and Superman. I read and enjoyed the rotating titles too, and I feel Action Comics Weekly is a good forum for me to get to know these characters and the new ones Action Comics Weekly may introduce in the future. In the beginning of Action Comics, Superman was just a rotating character among many. After issue number one, Supes did not even get on the cover again until issue number ten. That's a true statement. Action Comics Weekly is a concept perfect for 1988 and will stimulate a lot of creativity in the comics world. I've been reading Action since before issue 300. I'm treating Action Comics Weekly 601 as a true first edition. Thanks for letting me. Thanks for letting me get a preview copy. Keep up the good work. The only thing Action Comics Weekly has in common with those vapid TV ads I mentioned before is the ubiquitous catchphrase, "But wait, there's more." Uh, to which uh, editor Mike Gold says, "But wait, there's more." Now David's letter there is. Uh, it it sounds a lot like a few of the letters we've read uh, last time out. Um, it's a uh, it's cautious uh, trepidation uh, with mixed with excitement uh, and all that all that good stuff. Uh, our next letter comes from a John Moss. He says, "Dear Mike, hmm, action going weekly. It makes an enormous amount of sense. Time, Newsweek, Barrons, Advertising Age, Billboard, Sports Illustrated, and a host of other magazines come out every week. Why not action?" Personally, I look forward to the new format. The opening Green Lantern segment packed more story with better pacing and more excitement than many issues of the book's recent run. Actually, the character made much more sense than he has since way before Crisis. If the Green Lantern will be in action every week, and if the stories work this well, that's reason enough to buy this book. Now, uh, Hal was coming off of uh, Green Lantern Corps. That was a... Uh, 24 issue run um, from Green Lantern Corps 201 to 224 I want to say uh, mostly written or all, ex all except one issue written by Steve Englehart with art by Joe Staten um, final issue was Joey Cavalieri which uh, is kind of like you know the uh, the cosmic symbol that uh, your book is done when uh, when they put an editor to, on it to script is uh, <laughs> it's usually uh, you know they're, they're playing taps somewhere for that but uh Action, I'm sorry, uh, Green Lantern Corps started out really, really well for me, um, but I always lose interest about halfway through that run. Uh, this is where, and we mentioned this a little bit last time out, but this is where the uh, 
the Guardians left, and there were only eight Earthbound Green Lanterns left, and uh, they had a little citadel in California, and you met Kilowog, and Chip was there, and Salak, and uh, it was a neat little like family of Green Lanterns. But then about halfway through, it kind of it kind of lost its uh, its novelty uh, for me, uh, and and apparently for uh, for this John, John Moss here. Um, we're gonna get back to his letter, and he says. Wild Dog isn't a character that I find too interesting. Maybe he'll grow on me. The story went down easy. That's the best I can say for now. Collins and Beatty have done great work in the past, notably Ms. Tree. In the new format of action, hopefully they'll get a quick chance to develop this character more swiftly. And uh, yeah, I think they, uh, I think they did because, uh, you know, Wild Dog. Uh, if you ask me, and I, and I mentioned this last time, he works better in in small bursts, I believe. And these eight page chapters are uh, a good way to showcase just what Wild Dog can do, and uh, and not not overstay his welcome, you know, because uh, I think twenty two to twenty four pages of him just you know emptying guns <laughs> in the directions of terrorists is a uh, might be a little uh, might be a little much for uh, for folks on a uh, regular basis. Uh, next, he says, I remember Secret Six from the late 1960s. As my eyes and tastes mature, I appreciate the characterizations rendered by Dan Spiegel. His artwork lives and breathes, and his characters have real emotion. These are real people in the panels, worth the price of admission alone. So, uh, going against uh, our earlier letter uh, writer David. Um, John here is a, is a fan of Dan Spiegel's work, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I side more with John. Uh, he does mention that these are real people, and I, I did mention in the blog a few times that one of them looks especially like Burt Convy, who is, or was, a, a real person at, at one point in time. Uh, back to the letter. The two-page spread for Superman was generic, but I'll admit that it's a treat to see Kurt Swan behind the pencil, and that's pretty much the best I could say about it, too. Uh, Kurt Swan being back uh, working on the post-crisis Superman is is a treat, but uh, the story is generic. Deadman and Blackhawk are well were well handled. I'm certain that as the weeks go by, their tales will continue to hold my interest. At a dollar fifty for forty-eight pages, action looks to be a fine comics value, especially when considering that independents ask at least that much money, and generally deliver much less entertainment. Good luck on what I'm certain will be a long and successful run. Well, not much more to say about that. <laughs> Just uh, Dead Man and Blackhawk will entertain him as uh, as the time goes by. And uh, I agree with half of that. <laughs> that, that. That might be too cold there. Uh, Dead Man has had a, a good couple of chapters, but uh, I still mo- mo- find it mostly a, uh, a lesser of these offerings uh, in these early issues. Now, our next letter comes from a Jim. He says, Dear Mike, there are two aspects to Action Comics Weekly 601 I'd like to address, the artistic and the editorial. Of the artistic, I would say that it was not too bad an effort. After all, you brought in some heavy hitters with Gil Kane and Collins and Beatty. I especially like Gil Kane's effort and and I'm looking forward to more. The only art I didn't like was, wait for it, the work on the Secret Six chapter. It just didn't capture my attention. The writing, for the most part, was also good. Again, especially the Green Lantern work. 
On the other hand, I found the Wild Dog chapter to be too simple-minded. Bad guy terrorists hold hostages, demanding protagonist be turned over to them. Protagonist overcomes terrorists, saves hostages, escapes into the night. Didn't seem to be much thought put into that one, and, uh, I, you know, I, I don't think there was. I, I think that that first chapter, if you've been reading along with the blog, that first chapter is tonally very different than the last, you know, the, 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 the six or seven that came after it. Because uh, I think that was an introduction. That was a reintroduction to folks who have read the uh, Wild Dog Mini a, a year earlier, or uh, just introducing the character to people who had no idea who or what Wild Dog was and were just buying action comics. Um, it was a simple, uh, inch-deep, mile-wide look at Wild Dog. This is what he does. He, uh, he fights terrorists, he empties guns, and uh, he escapes into the night. I, I think that's all you really needed for that issue, because it was just to establish the character to folks who might have forgotten or might have no idea. Because uh, when you jump into Action Comics Weekly 602, uh, Wild Dog's actual story begins. The moral stand story actually kicks into gear at that point. Uh, back to the letter. The Superman sequence was rather boring. Unless you might be adding a little twist to the end. We'll all have to see about that one. I like the other stories well enough to want to see the rest, which brings me to the crux of this letter. From conversations with other fans and from retailers, I found a great deal of resistance to the concept of a weekly comic book. The main concern seems to be that Action Comics wasn't blazing any new trails when it was a monthly issue, and not too many of them would consider shelling out six bucks a month for what looks like four or five comic stories cut up and dished out on a weekly basis. And uh, we mentioned it last last time out, but uh, there are going to be months where this is a seven dollar and fifty cent investment. So uh, six bucks is a uh, is not all of it. Uh, back to Jim's letter, he says, "I feel that for the comic to be a success, it would have to do what any other comic, a successful comic of recent memory, has done: bring consistent quality art and writing, along with giving a reader something unique. To do this on a weekly basis would seem to be an exceedingly difficult task." And yeah, this this is where I start to have a problem with uh, sending out these preview copies because when you when you I think when uh, when anybody gives somebody an invitation to review, you're giving them power that they might not be able to handle <laughs> in a way. I mean, what does this Jim fella know about uh, about writing comics or selling comics or marketing comics? And he's giving advice on how. DC ought to do it, you know, and, and by giving the most uh, trite, uh, <laughs> most trite advice, write good stories, tell tell good stories, draw good art. Well, yeah, no kidding. I, I don't think anybody is waking up in the morning saying, I'm going to draw the crappiest looking Secret Six ever put to paper. I don't think anybody's doing that. But uh, I, I digress. We'll get back to Jim's letter here. When I first heard of the new format and had occasion to glimpse the cover art for the first four issues, I admit I was looking forward to their publication. Now that, they're, now that I've seen the contents, I must admit I am disappointed. It must be difficult enough for a writer to bring dramatic continuity to a monthly title, but to a weekly issue with only three or four pages to set the tone of, for the following week? I don't think it'll work. Well, he's, he's right. <laughs> it ultimately didn't work, but... Uh, three or four pages? Really? 
I don't know, because we could break this down a couple ways here. Is he talking about the whole story being three or four pages? Because clearly they're not. I mean, these are eight-page stories, which, uh, you know, is like a go-to in other parts of the world for uh, weekly uh, content. Uh, Or is he talking about three or four pages to set up the next issue, which, I mean, how many pages does he think they're setting it up in a a regular monthly comic? Are they really setting up the next issue for 13, 14, 15 pages? I mean... I, I just don't know what he's trying to get at here. I think I think he's just he might just be talking out of turn. I don't know. He continues. Or he concludes, I should say. I would be more supportive of each week you put out one good story with good cover art, good interior art, and good writing. But no matter how good the contents, I find it annoying to have to buy four or five issues to see how one story ends. I hope you find some of this to be useful and I wish you good luck. Well, I mean <laughs> you know, it's it. If you buy five or six issues of any ongoing comic, you're gonna get a full story. You know, it's I, that's not something that's novel to Action Comics Weekly. Uh, well, you know, if throw me back in 1988, I'd probably think this was not a very good idea. Uh, simply, simply from the pricing, the price point, uh, paying a buck fifty for one title four or five times a month. That's that's all I'd really have a problem with. You know. Um, I, I think when you're, anytime I've read an anthology when I wasn't reviewing it, uh, there were always stories that I'd skip, or I'd get a page or two into it and be like, nope, this one's not for me. And I, I really wouldn't feel too guilty or bad about it. I'd just be like, okay, I just didn't read that one. That's fine. You know, <laughs> you don't have to read everything. Um, you don't have to be invested in everything. It's just uh, kind of the way it is here. Uh, but when you send these preview copies out and people need to need to give you the criticism, they're going to they're going to tell you that they need all of it, I guess. I don't know. Let's go to our next letter, our penultimate letter. This is from a John Robert Nolan, and he says, "Dear Mr. Gold, I would like to express my appreciation and gratitude for sending me a copy of Action Comics Weekly. It was an unexpected yet wonderful surprise. Of course, I would be honored to give you my reviews." Okay, and he goes into them and says, Green Lantern. I hope I don't sound too prejudiced about this since Green Lantern is my favorite character, but I'll try. I like the fact that Hal's the only Green Lantern in this end of the universe. However, I'm saddened by Katma's death. In a letter I just wrote to Roy Thomas concerning Skyman's death, I stated that one of the great truths of comic books is that any dead character can be brought back to life at any time. I especially like the no-rules thing. From what I understand, Green Lantern will appear every week with no break. That's the best news. I think uh, John might have uh, might have unlocked uh, the big secret here. You know, uh, deaths aren't permanent in comics. Uh, he goes on to say, Wild Dog. I loved Wild Dog from the start of his miniseries last year, so I may be somewhat prejudiced here as well. Wild Dog is somewhat monotonous. Terrorists threaten. Terrorists keep regular law enforcement at bay. Wild Dog shows up mysteriously and kills terrorists, and then vanishes the same way he shows up. Now I ask you, who cares? The guy became Wild Dog for one purpose, to kill terrorists. In this case, repetition is good. But without special attention, Wild Dog could become the Three's company of comic books. And, uh, you know, we, we said this earlier. Uh... That was a, I, I think, personally, that was an introductory piece for Wild Dog, just to let people know what he's all about. And uh, like John puts it here, you know, <laughs> that's that's what he does. That, that is who he is, and uh, that's what we're going to get from a Wild Dog story. 
at least a uh, at least one where we're trying just to give you the uh, the inch deep or where they're trying to give you the inch deep mile wide look at the character. Uh, he says next secret six, huh? Let me reserve judgment till I know what the heck's going on. <laughs> and I mentioned this last time out. That first chapter of Secret Six, I had to read it uh, two or three times because I didn't know who was what, who was where, when was when was how. It was a uh, a very uh, I, I don't, I don't want to say it was poorly anything, but it was just uh, it was hard to receive. I, I just didn't know what was when and who was where and and when you, when it was that many questions without any kind of eye towards clarification, it was. It really made me not want to read on. I'm, I'm glad I did, because uh, it's telling a really nice story. But, you know, that first chapter, if if that was actually a first issue of a new volume of Secret Six, I doubt I would have come back for number two. Uh, since it was part of an anthology, you know, if, if I want to see the rest of the stuff, then I'll I get Secret Six along with it for the ride. But uh, if that was a Secret Six comic and... Uh, the second issue was gonna <laughs> that was gonna sell me the second issue. I don't think it would have. Um, back to the letter here. He says, "Superman, hey, Kurt Swan's drawing. Kurt Swan is drawing soups again, even if it is only two pages a week. There's not much I can say about only two pages, but what I saw was intriguing. False. It was not intriguing. Dead man. Now this is a this is really good. Mike Barron came up with another winner." I've been following The Flash since number one. Uh, Mike Barron was writing volume two of The Flash. So I figured Dead Man would be pretty good. I was wrong. It was superb. I'll be following Dead Man more closely now than ever before. Count on it. Well, different strokes, I guess. Black Hook. This one reminds me of the cliffhangers I was told about by my parents and grandparents. Not enough information, nor too much. Not, not enough information, nor too much. Just enough to whet your appetite. That's a that's a pretty good uh, that's a pretty good way of putting it. That uh, that first chapter of Black Hawk was uh, had enough intrigue with, and it didn't really give you a whole lot, but it gave you intrigue, and it really uh, it made me want to come back. And um, for me, with uh, with um, the war characters that usually don't capture my imagination or even you know get get my side eye, <laughs> this was uh, Black Hawk was uh, was good enough for me to want to come back, and and I've actually been voting it. The, uh, the top book of the week, most weeks uh, since we uh, started the polls over at the site. Uh, he continues to say, I believe Black Canary and Nightwing will be just as good as the others. Of course, Black Canary and Nightwing are, are also two of my favorite characters. You know, I'm starting to think that Black Canary and Nightwing were, uh, were part of the original promotional package here uh, because I, I don't see any of these letter writers talking about uh, you know, Catwoman or the Phantom Stranger, or uh, Hero Hotline, or anything like Human Target. It's all about uh, Nightwing and Black Canary, which um, they they are uh, among the next few features coming up. So I I, I suppose that that's uh, that's all well enough. Uh, John continues. If you ever want to add more characters into the rotation, please consider Blue Beetle, Booster Gold, and Blue Devil. Got to imagine if this were to have been a success and uh, would have continued on uh, forever, uh, I'm sure those characters would have gotten features. Uh, they they just seem too uh, too ripe and uh, too uh, too 80s, you know, at this point to uh, to ignore. I, I I figure they'd have to they'd have to probably give them something in Action Comics Weekly. Now he wraps up to say. 
In this day and age, comics are one of, if not the most, underrated of media. I find so many people who think comic books are childish. For some, The Flash can show comic books aren't childish. For others, it takes Cinder and Ash and The Watchmen, which have been, even brought them back even brought them back to me for the next issue. Some people still can't believe a funny book called Hellblazer or a superhero making love with his girlfriend in Seattle or a vigilante committing suicide. I love the look on their faces. I'd like to thank you once more, Mr. Gold, for sending me the copy of Action Comics Weekly. I really feel honored that you chose me. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a funny thing he puts at the end there where... Uh, you know, this was, uh, you know, DC, you know, comics were not, you know, not just for kids, you know, it's, we're, uh, we're mature now. And uh, <laughs> whatever you want to say about that, this was uh, the age of the grim and gritty. So there you go. Now we're going to wrap up with a letter by Eric in Bethesda, Maryland. He says, Dear Mike, first, let me thank you. Considering I've only written a handful of letters, this is truly an honor for me. Not only am I handpicked by the editor of some of my favorite comics, including Green Arrow, Flash, and Steve Lytle's run on the Doom Patrol, not only do I get to impress my local comic dealer and friends, but I think I earned the respect of Andy Helfer, another favorite editor, who was at a convention. But I know this isn't what you wanted to hear. I just wanted to express my gratitude. Well, I'm sure they appreciate that. He continues, Overall, the book looks pretty good especially with the foreknowledge of a Green Lantern Green Arrow team-up, something I've asked for in Ollie's own book. Well, that, that will not come to pass. A Nightwing Speedy team-up and a Black Canary feature. Hopefully, this will all tie in with Green Arrow. It, it won't. It really won't. Also promising is this Superman becomes a god plot. Does this mean he will get over his inferiority complex with Wonder Woman? Oh, well... The one problem you will encounter is that $1.50 a week is a lot, and you're going to have to keep up the quality of the book, but I have faith in you. It's like it's like we're, we're patting a dog on the head here. It's like you need to keep the quality up. I, I don't think anybody in comics ever says I'm going to put out a garbage issue. I, I, there's a lot of garbage issues in comics, but I don't think that was ever the intention. I don't think anybody said, you know, we could crank some quality into this, but let's not. So it's just another another bit of this weird trite advice. I it it kind of annoys me. In case you haven't noticed, uh, he continues. The concept is a good one, but you can never forget quality control, or it will never work. Really, really, Eric, come on. Ah, oh, in this case, reader input should be the rule of thumb. Give us what we ask for. If it does work, you might consider reprinting every four episodes of whatever serial in a monthly format for those who aren't regular readers. Well, that I can agree with. I think that uh, I think that eventually these should have been split out into uh, you know single issue form for each uh, for each of the features, just to maybe get some new eyes from folks, and of course to really really irk the completionists who need to have everything. So that could have been a really good idea. Um, you know, I, I, the advice he gives, the other advice he gives about quality, I mean, come on, Eric, <laughs> please. Uh, now, he wraps up and he says, Anyway, thanks again for the advanced copy. It is truly an honor, and I hope if you ever need any more reader input, you'll let me know. Pretty big of me, huh? 
Well, I, I kind of hope they don't. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, th this qual keep up the quality. I just I just don't understand how. Uh, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? That <laughs> concludes uh, this hot take. This is uh, the letters page from Action Comics Weekly, number six hundred and seven from uh, nineteen eighty eight, where they are still opining on the photostat copies of Action Comics Weekly six hundred and one. And, uh, I, you know, I, we will uh, maybe continue this next time out, or maybe we'll jump to another another uh, hot-button topic of the past to, uh, to, get some, uh, to get some hot takes here. I, I do have some guests coming on. Uh, we're going to be talking about Swamp Thing in the next couple of episodes, and I do have a lot of information on uh, people's reactions to Alan Moore taking on Swamp Thing from uh, old Usenet posts that, I'd, uh, that I've collected over the years. So... We maybe we'll discuss some of those. Maybe we'll see how uh, how folks reacted to uh, to the fact uh, to to the results of the anatomy lesson. I should say, uh, in case maybe maybe some folks don't know. I don't know, but uh, that'll do it for this week. Alrighty, well that'll do it for episode thirteen. I want to thank you all for listening. If you want to get a hold of us, you can do so at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can visit us at chrisandreggie.com. We've got a Patreon. You can hop over there at patreon.com forward slash chrisandreggie. You can find us on Twitter at CosmicTmill, Reggie Reggie, and Ace Comics. You can check out the site that this show is named after over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. And uh, while you're there, if there's anything on there you'd like to hear me talk about, let me know. Also, if there's anything on there you'd like to come on and talk about, drop me a line. We'll figure something out. I uh, want to thank you all again for hanging out. Uh, so long for now. See ya. <laughs>